Eternal, righteous, and invisible Father in heaven, praise, glory, and honor be unto you for your blessings which you have bestowed upon us graciously. We thank you, Father, for giving us life. We thank you for forgiveness of sins. We thank you for the ministry of the heavenly agencies on our behalf. And we thank you for the temporal blessings that you give to us to sustain us on this earth. Dear Lord, the work is before us to prepare for the coming of our Lord and to prepare to have eternal life. Lord, we pray because we know that there is a lot that we do not know yet and there is a lot about us that is not yet right. We pray that as we fellowship with you, this devotion shall be a means to bring us nearer to you and to the image of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Put your words in my mouth, dear Lord, for I know that I am unworthy to handle this. But Lord, by your grace, for the sake of your children, for the sake of the work of our Lord Jesus, who died on the cross for our sins, please speak blessings to your children. In Jesus' name we've prayed. Amen. Conflict and Courage, November 20 Mishandling God's Goods When thou shalt vow a vow unto the Lord thy God, thou shalt not slack to pay it, for the Lord thy God will surely require it of thee. Deuteronomy chapter 23 verse 21 the brief but terrible history of Ananias and Sapphira is traced by the pen of inspiration for the benefit of all who profess to be the followers of Christ. This important lesson has not rested with sufficient weight upon the minds of our people. This one marked evidence of God's retributive justice is fearful and should lead all to fear and tremble to repeat scenes which brought such a punishment. Ananias and his wife, Sapphira, had the privilege of hearing the gospel preached by the apostles. While under the direct influence of the Spirit of God, they made a pledge to give to the Lord certain lands. But when they were no longer under this heavenly influence, the impression was less forcible and they began to question and draw back from fulfilling the pledge which they had made. Covetousness was first cherished, then ashamed to have their brethren know that their selfish souls grudged that which they had solemnly dedicated and pledged to God, deception was practiced. When convicted of their falsehood, their punishment was instant death. Not to the early church only, but all future generations this example of God's hatred of covetousness, fraud and hypocrisy was given as a danger signal. When the heart is stirred by the influence of the Holy Spirit and a vow is made to give a certain amount, the one who vows has no longer any right to the consecrated portion. Promises of this kind made to men would be looked upon as binding. Are those not more binding than are made to God? 
Many spend money lavishly in self-gratification. Men and women consult their pleasure and gratify their taste, while they bring to God almost unwillingly a stinted offering. They forget that God will one day demand a strict account of how his goods have been used and that he will no more accept the pittance they hand into the treasury than he accepted the offering of Ananias and Sapphira. Amen. The title of our devotion for today is Mishandling God's Goods. We left off looking at the power of the Holy Spirit upon the disciples which led them to preach so powerfully and win 3,000 at one time and 5,000 at another time yet with opposition against them. The church of God was growing. The Holy Spirit was at work. The effect of the Holy Spirit in the life is to root out all evil and to implant those graces that make men become like angels. Galatians chapter 5 verse 22 to 26 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with their affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. Amen. This is a manifestation of the Spirit to have the character transformed. You know, Paul also wrote in the book of Romans 12 verse 1 and 2 that we should present ourselves as a living sacrifice. How? holy and acceptable unto God. That is our reasonable service. And we are not to be conformed to this world but be transformed. How? By the renewing of the mind. The Holy Spirit working on the first disciples were renewing their mind and one thing that will happen to anyone who has his mind renewed is that the sin of covetousness, envy, selfishness will be rooted out. Envy, covetousness, and selfishness are sins which lie at the very core of the human mind. They are not easily rooted out. But when the Holy Spirit is imparted into the life, these seeds of evil are rooted out. In my opinion, the greatest evidence of the presence of the Holy Spirit in the life of the apostles and the followers of Christ even today will be, as it was then, their lack of selfishness. No one envied the other. No one was seeking to have more than the other. They esteemed others as better than themselves. And the evidence of this was revealed in the way they regarded their properties. Acts chapter 4 reading from verse 32 says, And the multitude of them that believed, that's the 5,000, the 3,000, were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common and with great power they gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all neither was there any among them that lacked for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the prizes of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles feet 
and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. What can you say to this? Amen. This man Barnabas, also known as Joseph, the son of consolation, will then further be an apostle himself. The power of the Holy Ghost upon Barnabas and upon even the man Nicodemus, Joseph of Arimathea, many of the priests and Levites who had come from various lands. Remember here, Barnabas was a man who lived in Cyprus. He was not one who stayed in Galilee or Jerusalem who witnessed the ministry of Jesus for three and a half years. He came from Cyprus for that Pentecost feast and he was among those who heard the preaching of Peter and he believed in Jesus and from then on he did his own Bible study and became an apostle. He left all he had, sold his lands, sold his properties and brought the money and committed it to something that he thought that he felt was a pearl of great price. He had found the treasure hid in a field and he sold all that he had to buy it. So did Nicodemus, so did Joseph of Arimathea. Reading from Review and Herald, February 2, 1911, paragraph 4, it says, This liberality on the part of the believers was the result of the outpouring of the Spirit. The converts to the gospel were made of one heart and of one soul. One common interest controlled them. The success of the mission entrusted to them. Covetousness had no place in their lives. Their love for their brethren and the cause they had espoused was far greater than their love of money and possessions. And their works testified that they accounted the souls of men of far greater value than earthly wealth. Thus, it will ever be when the Spirit of God takes possession of the life. Those whose hearts are filled with the love of Christ will follow the example of him who for our sake became poor that through his poverty we might be made rich. Money, time, influence, all the gifts they have received from God's hands, they will value only as a means of advancing the work of the gospel. Thus it was in the early church and when in the church of today it is seen that by the power of the Spirit the members have taken their affections from the things of the world and that they are willing to make sacrifices in order that their fellow men may hear the gospel, the truths proclaimed will have a powerful influence upon the hearers. End of quote. Amen. And I pray that we as children of God may allow the Spirit of God to work in our hearts that we may have our affections withdrawn from the things of this world like Barnabas and all of them at that time and our affections may be drawn towards God that we may see the cause of the gospel as a pearl of great price that we may as it is sell all that we have for the gospel what does this mean it means to reserve all our properties in our hearts and mind and see it as to be used for the advancement of the gospel it means that we regard all our properties and see them and value them only as a means of advancing the work of the gospel. May this be our experience is my prayer. But Satan in those days was seeking to bring in an unconsecrated element among them. 
a couple who were partakers of the Holy Spirit did not resist the influence of the devil to become covetous. Reading from Acts chapter 5 from verse 1, it says, But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira his wife sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why had Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? While it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing those words, fell down and gave up the ghost. And great fear came upon all them that heard these things. And the young men arose, wound him up, and carried him out, and buried him. A commentary on this is written in the book Review and Herald, February 2, 1911, reading from paragraph 6, it says, In sharp contrast to the example of benevolence shown by the believers is the conduct of Ananias and Sapphira, whose experience traced by the pen of inspiration has left a dark stain upon the history of the early church. With others, Ananias and Sapphira had had the privilege of hearing the gospel preached by the apostles. They had been present when, after the disciples had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Deep conviction had rested upon all present and under the direct influence of the Spirit of God, Ananias and Sapphira made a pledge to give to the Lord the proceeds from the sale of certain lands. But when they were no longer under, their, under this heavenly influence, they began to regret their promise. They thought that they had been too hasty and that they ought to reconsider their decision. They talked the matter over and decided not to fulfill their pledge. They saw, however, that those who parted with their possessions to supply the needs of their poorer brethren were held in high esteem among the believers and ashamed to have their brethren know that their selfish souls grudged that which they had solemnly dedicated to God, they deliberately decided to sell their property and pretend to give all the proceeds into the general fund, but really to keep a large share for themselves. Thus, they would secure their living, which they intended to estimate as much higher than it really was, from the common store, while at the same time, they would gain the high esteem of their brethren. But God hates hypocrisy and falsehood. Ananias and Sapphira practiced fraud in their dealing with God. They lied to the Holy Spirit, and their sin was visited with swift and terrible judgment. Sapphira herself was not there when this happened. In the book of Acts 5, from verse 7 to 11, it says, And it was about the space of three hours after, when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. And Peter answered unto her, Tell me, whether you sold the land for so much? And she said, Yeah, for so much. Hold on, before I go on. Was Peter setting a trap for her? No, she was also supposed to fall down and die wherever she was because she was party to the crime. The reason Peter asked this question was to give her a chance of redemption so that she could at least tell the truth. Even though she didn't know her husband was dead, she didn't need to know because any repentance that comes from knowing that her husband was dead will not be a genuine one. It will be just out of fear that she was going to die. But Peter asked her this question to draw out from her lips a, a, an opportunity 
a confession of her sin to see whether her heart was hardened in the iniquity that was why it was asked or to see whether the spirit of the lord which most likely peter had prayed for her and the apostles had prayed for her to see that the holy spirit will touch her so that once again it will be softened and she will come and if peter asked her that question she was supposed to know that for peter to be asking me this question who knows she was supposed to tremble and who knows maybe the lord has found me out let me confess my sin and as peter asked her verse 9 he says then peter said unto her how is it that you have agreed together to tempt the spirit of the lord behold the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door and shall carry thee out then fell she down straightway at his feet and yielded up the ghost and the young men came in and found her dead and carrying her forth buried her by her husband and great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things amen continuing that reading from review and herald it says infinite wisdom saw that this signal manifestation of the wrath of god was necessary to guard the young church from becoming demoralized their numbers were rapidly increasing the church would have been disgraced if in the rapid increase of converts men and women had been added who while professing to serve god were worshiping mammon this judgment testified that men cannot deceive god that he detects the hidden sin of the heart and that he will not be mocked it was designed as a warning to the young church to lead them to avoid pretense and hypocrisy and to beware of robbing god end of quote so what was the sin of ananias and sapphira actually the lord had already given direction that no one is to make a vow to god and then say later that they were not going to pay it that was the bible text we read for today in the book of deuteronomy chapter 23 verse 21 when thou shalt vow a vow unto the lord thy god thou shalt not slack to pay it for the lord thy god will surely require it of thee also in the book of ecclesiastes 5 reading from verse 1 the word of god speaks to us today saying keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of god and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools for they consider not that they do evil be not rash with thy mouth and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before god for god is in heaven and thou upon earth therefore let thy words be few and then in verse 4 it says when thou vowest a vow unto god defer not to pay it for he had no pleasure in fools pay that which thou hast vowed better is it that thou shouldest not vow than that thou shouldest vow and not pay suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin neither say thou before the angel that it was an error wherefore should god be angry at thy voice and destroy the work of thy hands amen the lord has required from us certain things that as his people we must do which is the tithes the tithe 10% of whatever you have belongs to god there is no negotiation with that but when it comes to offerings the lord has left that with you to choose and he's not going to punish you for not giving any offering it is left with you but if you want to appear righteous and you think it is something commendable and you make vows before god then be careful when you are entering into that territory many there are who are doing these things today i remember when i was in school and then promotions are made and people come i vow to pay this i vow to pay that i remember 
how many vows were written on paper with the words of people that even years later had not been redeemed. And these people walk around appearing as if, oh, these things mean nothing. Do you understand that when you come before the house of God and make those proclamations, I vow to give this amount to the house of God to take care of this and take care of that. And you know very well that when you say this, people look up to you. Like it was the case for Ananias and Sapphira. They knew that those who made these vows were held in high esteem. We read that and it was true. And we know today that when you make such vows, you are held in high esteem before the church members. But many do not know that those who make these vows, many of them do not redeem it. A large number of them. Do you think that God doesn't take note of these things? If you are listening to me and you are one who does things like this, do you think that God doesn't take note of these things? And I'm smiling as I'm saying this. The Lord is giving you a chance just like he gave to Sapphira. And there's a lot that we suffer just because of these things that we do. You think about it. Have you been in a situation where of your own you didn't ask anything from someone and it usually happens you don't ask and the person just comes to meet you oh where are you you've graduated give me your certificate i'll make sure you get a job or the person just tells you i'm going to pay you this amount of money i'm going to pay you that amount of money and you never even begged the person oh i'm going to do this for you i'm going to do that for you what is the person trying to do well i cannot read hearts but one thing i know is that when the person does that whoever is listening to that promise being made to them is waiting and is an expectation when these things are not fulfilled for you who are listening how do you usually feel do you not feel that that person was a deceiver do you not feel that the person wanted to get your esteem as in make you esteem them but the person wanted to get it cheaply just by saying i'm promising you this i'm promising you that and yet they never fulfilled it do you not feel hurt by it you see this brings us back to that principle written in the word of God in the book of 1 John 4 verse 20. If a man say, I love God and hated his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he had seen, how can he love God whom he had not seen? In other words, if you can do this to your fellow men, you will certainly do it to God. And if you say, oh, the vows I make to God, I usually pay. But the ones I make to man, eh, it's not consequential. It's not true. It is just as consequential because Jesus said, as long as you have done it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. If you vow to a man and you don't pay, Jesus said you are doing it unto me. So don't think that oh, when you say it to God, it's more different than when you say it to man. It is the same thing. Like we read in the devotion, I think that was in the last paragraph today in Conflict and Courage, page 330. Paragraph 4, we are told, Promises of this kind made to men will be looked upon as binding. Are those not more binding that are made to God? End of quote. So it is more binding to God, but to man it is still binding. As long as you do it to man, you do it unto God. So we are not to deviate from rigid honesty when dealing with both God and man. Reading from Child Guidance, page 154, paragraph 1, it says, In every business transaction, be rigidly honest. However tempted, never deceive or prevaricate. In the least matter, at times, a natural impulse may bring temptation to diverge from the straightforward part of honesty. But do not vary one hair's breadth. If in any matter, you make a statement as to what you will do, and afterward, find that you have favored others to your own loss. Do not vary a hair's breadth from principle. 
carry out your agreement. By seeking to change your plans, you would show that you could not be depended on. And should you draw back in little transactions, you will draw back in larger ones. Under such circumstances, some are tempted to deceive, saying, I was not understood. My words have been taken to mean more than I, intend I intended. The fact is, they meant just what they said, but lost the good impulse and then wanted to draw back from their agreement, lest it prove a loss to them. The Lord requires us to do justice, to love mercy and truth and righteousness. End of quote. And this is properly said in the book of Psalms 15 from verse 1. It says, Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? The answer is given, verse 2, he that walketh uprightly and worketh righteousness and speaketh the truth in his heart. And verse 4 now says, he that sweareth to his own heart and changeth not. What does it mean to swear to your own heart and change not? It means just what we read. When you have said you will do something and you realize that that thing is going to put you at a loss, even maybe you or you feel you knew before it was going to put you at a loss, but now you don't feel like doing it. As far as you have said it, do it. As far as you know that that thing you said you will do is not against God's word. We have already learned in past devotions that if you say you are going to do something and that thing you said you are going to do is bad, then don't do that. Even if you vowed to do it, don't do it. But when you make a vow that is in harmony with the word of God, like the case of Jephthah who promised that the first thing that comes out of his house is going to give it to the Lord and his daughter came out of his house, he had to weep. He was at a loss but the man was a noble man. He gave over his daughter to the Lord, not by sacrificing her because the Lord does not, does not require human sacrifices, but by giving her as a virgin to serve in the temple of the Lord forever. That was what he did. He didn't turn back. And the Lord has nothing to do with what he calls fools. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 from verse 1 to 6 makes us understand that. Don't say like in verse 6, suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin. Neither say thou before the angel that it was an error. Don't say before anybody, oh, I made a mistake. Wherefore should God be angry at thy voice and destroy the work of thine hands? Check your life, who knows? And I'm checking mine too, I should. Lord, we need to ask for forgiveness. Maybe you have made a vow and you've completely forgotten that you did something like that. Or your mind is remembering. Ask the Holy Spirit to remind you. Did you make any vow? Pay your vow to the Lord. And also, did you do such to man and you see that it's going to hurt you to pay it? Please, pay that vow. It can stop you from entering into the kingdom of God. Psalms 15 said, those who will dwell in the holy hill of the Lord, part of them are those who swear to their own heart. That means they make com commitments, they make promises, and it's going to bring them at a loss, but yet they do not change. They stand by what they said. If you are not going to stand by what you said, then if I also am not going to stand by what I said, we will not make it to the kingdom of God. It has great consequences. And even on this earth, we will incur losses. The Lord brought this story to us to make us understand that we shouldn't play games with him and also with men. Like I was saying earlier, tithe is for God. Offering is you. Be careful with your lips. Don't say things you cannot do. Don't think. You know, sometimes we think that God is not good. And because we think that he's not good, we, we, we want to buy favors from him. And we say to the Lord, Lord, if you do this for me, I vow that I'm going to give you my first salary. Did the Lord ask you for that? He never asked you for that. Was the Lord going to help you if you didn't make that vow? Most likely he was going to. But your lack of faith 
made you think that God was such a one as ourselves that unless you tell him you are going to give him something, then that's when he will help you. Look at how many things the Lord has done in your life. The Lord has done so many good things for many of us, but we still think that we need to give him some incentives before he will help us. Don't insult God like that. He's always going to help you. It doesn't mean that you need to give him some incentives before he helps you. And sometimes we do this thing because we are receiving, we want something from God. We should make vows to God not because we want things from Him, but because we want to support His work. Not because, Lord, you give me this visa, or give me this promotion, or give me this job, or help me pass this exam, or give me this child, or give me what my flesh desires, then I will give you this. If you give it to me, I'll give you that. No problem. Go ahead if you want to do that, but be careful with your lips. Ananias and Sapphira's story is before us. When you do that, be ready to pay because God never begged you for it. You were the only one who said it by yourself. Then fulfill what you are going to say. Reading from Review and Herald, February 2, 1911, paragraph 14, it says, Voluntary offerings and the tithe constitute the revenue of the gospel. Of the means entrusted to man, God claims a certain portion, the tithe. He leaves all free to say whether or not they will give more than this. They are to give as they propose in their hearts. But when the heart is stirred by the influence of the Spirit of God and a vow is made to give a certain amount, the one who vows has no longer any right to the consecrated portion. He has given his pledge before men and they are called to witness to the transaction. At the same time, he has incurred an obligation of a most sacred character to cooperate with the Lord in building up his kingdom on the earth. Promises of this kind made to men will be considered binding. Are they not more sacred and binding when made to God? Are promises tried in the court of conscience less binding than written agreements of men? When the divine light is shining into the heart with unusual clearness and power, habitual selfishness relaxes its grasp and there is a disposition to give to the cause of God. None need expect that they will be allowed to fulfill the promises then made without a protest on the part of Satan. He is not pleased to see the Redeemer's kingdom on earth built up. He suggests that the pledge made was too much, that it may cripple them in their efforts to acquire property or gratify the desires of their families. The power that Satan has over the human mind is wonderful. He labors most earnestly to keep the heart bound up in self. One of the means which God has ordained for the advancement of his cause in the world is to bless men with property. He gives them the sunshine and the rain. He causes vegetation to flourish. He gives health and ability to acquire means. All our blessings come from his bountiful hand. In turn, he would have men and women show their gratitude by returning him a portion in tithes and offerings, in thanks offerings, in freewill offerings, in trespass offerings. Should means flow into the treasury in accordance with this divinely appointed plan, a tenth of all the increase and liberal offerings, there will be an abundance to carry forward the Lord's work. I'll pause, for, I'll pause here for now. What we are learning here is this. Truly, when we go to church, for example, or we listen to the people speaking the word of God, the Spirit of the Lord actually works on the heart. That's what we need to learn. That that thing that is telling you, that mindset that is telling you, give this amount to the work of God. And you propose in your heart, even if you don't see it, in your heart you say, I'm going to give this amount to the work of God. Look, it is never going to be easy to do that thing. What we need to realize is refer back to that time and ask yourself, who was it that was impressing me to give this amount? It cannot be the devil 
it is Satan, it is God. Now, later on, Satan will come to your heart to protest and say, No, what you decided to give is too much. Let me say something that will help us when that happens. The word of God says, It is more blessed to give than to receive. The liberal soul shall be made fat. There is that withholdeth more than its meat and it tends to poverty, but there is that scattereth and he becomes richer. It, it makes him get plenty. Trust in the word of God that giving will not make you poor. Trust in the word of God that giving to the cause of God will not make you less, put you in a position to acquire less property. Trust God. The Lord has said that in the book of Malachi 3, he said, Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse and prove ye now, said the Lord of hosts, and I will pour you out a blessing and there will not be room enough to receive it. Trust the Lord. Be patient with him. Vow. That vow you have made, even if it is in your heart, pay it. Do not let that evil heart of covetousness that came to Ananias and Sapphira come into your heart and you say, no, I think I'm giving too much. And then you look at the person and say, oh, these people are even doing better than me. That one is doing better than me. Oh, why don't they give more than me? It is between you and God. Give that which you have vowed, even if it is in, even if it is in your heart. As for your tithe, you ought to. You're supposed to. But when it comes to the offerings, liberally give for the work of God and you will be blessed. So when the devil comes with those thoughts, banish the thoughts, remembering that it is the cause of God. Also remember that even if there is no blessing attached to it, remember that the Lord has suffered for you and it shouldn't be too great for you to suffer for his sake. And what is the suffering? Just giving money. Nobody has pierced my hands on my side or put crown of, crown of thorns on my head or given me a cross to carry on my shoulders up the hill of Golgotha. Nobody has done that to me. If it is just to give this to the Lord who has done so much for me, it shouldn't be a big deal. But, like when the reading continues, it says, But the hearts of men become hardened through selfishness. And like Ananias and Sapphira, they are tempted to withhold part of the price while pretending to fulfill God's requirements. Money is spent lavishly in self-gratification. Men and women consult their pleasures and gratify their tastes while they bring to God almost unwillingly a stinted offering. They forget that God will one day demand a strict account of how his goods have been used, while they unhesitatingly gratify their supposed ones and withhold from God that which is his, he will no more accept the pittance they hand into the treasury than he accepted the offering of Ananias and Sapphira. From the stern punishment meted out to Ananias and Sapphira, God will have us learn also how deep is his hatred and contempt for all hypocrisy and deception. In pretending that they had given all, Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Spirit and as a result, they lost this life and the life that is to come. The same God who punished them condemns all falsehood today. Lying lips are an abomination to him. He declares that the holy city, that into the holy city there shall in no wise enter anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie. Let truth-telling be held with no loose hand or uncertain grasp. Let it become part of the life, playing fast and loose with truth, and dissembling to suit one's own selfish plans means a shipwreck of faith. Stand therefore having your loins get about with truth. He who utters untruths sells his soul in a cheap market. 
his falsehood may seem to serve in emergencies. He may seem to make business advancement because he gains by falsehood, what he could not gain by fair dealing. But he finally reaches the place where he can trust no one. Himself a falsifier, he has no confidence in the word of others. End of quote. Such a sad thing. So another lesson we are learning here is not just about the vows, but telling the truth. It is usually the case, not just in telling lies now, but whatever sin you find yourself consistently committing, you begin to distrust humanity because you see yourself falling so much into that sin. You think that everybody is like yourself falling into that same sin. In the case of a lying tongue, it causes them to mistrust everyone. They cannot have confidence in the words of anyone and they start to scheme here and there, always wanting to have the better of another person because they are thinking that that person is never telling them the truth, that that person also is lying to them because they think that everyone is like themselves. Such a sad spectacle. And what is going to be the end of it? They are always living in that fear of being cheated. And because of that, they continue to cheat others. May the Lord bring us of such, out of such bondage. If you are among those who always tells lies in your business, in your relation with others, when you are in a relationship, you tell lies about your past and about your present and about the future. Because you want to gain confidence of others, you tell them, I will do this, I will do that, I will do this, I will do that. Whereas all you are doing is just because you want to get something out of that person. So you feel that you need to make these promises so that the person will let down their guard and do this and that for you. The Lord takes note of these things, all those your promises and your vows which you did not fulfill, even to a human being, the Lord took note of it and he will require it from you. Now is the day of salvation and we need to repent of all these untruths and falsehoods of giving of vows and then withholding it back or not returning the tithe, all the things we have talked about today. Now is a time to confess your sin and ask the Lord for forgiveness and repent. And I pray that the Spirit of the Lord talking to you right now, you will not then later say, oh, I think I was just being soft that time I was listening to that podcast. Let me go back on my words. Now that the Spirit of God is talking to you, make changes and hold on to those changes. Don't turn back like Ananias and Sapphira and you will receive a blessing of the Lord. Even if the Lord, even if you lose something on this earth, you secure for yourself eternal life. Let the example of Barnabas and the example of all the other disciples at that time who laid their gifts at the feet of the apostles be a blessing and an example to us that the liberal soul shall be made fat and the Lord will bless all who has such an effect of the Holy Spirit on them. But the Holy Spirit touch our souls is my prayer that we may reveal the gift the fruit of the Holy Spirit in love and kindness and a lack of selfishness but a liberal mind. Let us pray. Dear Lord in heaven, indeed I see this as a very important thing. Lord, take away from us the spirit of jealousy, envy, selfishness and covetousness. Also that spirit of telling lies and help us Lord to change our ways. Help us Lord to see in the gospel treasure hid in a field that we may sell all we have to buy this treasure and may we never regret it at any time may we constantly understand that there is something in this field of the gospel that it is a treasure and we never regret selling all we have for it 
do this for us, O oh Lord. There are some who are probably thinking right now of the vows they have made that did not pay. Thank you for sparing their lives and I pray you continue to do that. And I pray you impress their hearts now to pay the vow which they have made. And for those of us who have been telling lies, Lord, have mercy and forgive us. And put that living coal on our lips that we may speak the truth all the time. Thank you for hearing and answering our prayers. In Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen.